Welcome to Finnegan's podcast series, Cases to Watch in 2010. In our first edition, we'll preview cases, trends, and topics that look to ignite headlines in the electrical and computer technology industries. Finnegan partners Darren Giron and Dory Hines join us to share their expertise and insight for this coming year. Now let's begin with a case that has broad implications across multiple industries. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Bilski versus Kapos at the end of 2009, and they should rule here on this case in 2010. Dory, could you shed some light on the impact the Bilski decision could have in the electrical and computer technology spaces? Sure thing. The Bilski case is so important because it deals with the fundamental question of what is eligible for patent protection. This area has not been looked at by the Supreme Court since 1981, and there are new technologies that are particularly interesting for us in the computer and electrical area now that the Supreme Court could be addressing. Software generally is a series of process steps, and the Supreme Court will be addressing the patent eligibility of process steps in its Bilski decision. And the question that could be addressed in Bilski is whether software can be characterized as a series of abstract steps that may or may not be eligible for patent protection. Now, interestingly, at the Supreme Court argument in Bilski, the government argued for a narrow interpretation or a narrow decision by the Supreme Court in Bilski. And in particular, the government argued that the Bilski court should not be addressing the patent eligibility of software in its decision. It's been quite some time since the Federal Circuit has taken up a patent misuse case, but a decision in Prinko versus ITC could impact patent pools in the computer technology sector. Let's turn to you, Darren, this time. What kind of restrictions on licensing practices could surface from this case? Well, regarding potential restrictions in the area of licensing practices, we expect that the Federal Circuit will perhaps provide some guidance on licensing activities and how those relate to patent pools. Uh, particularly, the Federal Circuit is now considering the issue of non-essential patents and, and what issues arise by the potential inclusion of non-essential patents in a patent pool. Um, additionally, the Federal Circuit's also interested in any type of agreements that go along with the patent pools and whether those agreements serve to stifle uh, competitive benefits. Basically, the Printco case has quite a long history. The Federal Circuit actually just reheard the case, and during the oral arguments kind of made clear what appears to be the main positions that the Federal Circuit are interested in uh, and, and for which they might provide some guidance. Uh, particularly with respect to the tying issue, the Federal Circuit really seems hesitant to impose a burden on the pooling manufacturers regarding the inclusion of potential non-essential patents into the patent pool. Really, the more important issue to the Federal Circuit seems to center around the agreement issue and whether there was an agreement that had been established that would uh, prevent competition or prevent an alternative technology from being developed. Uh, so the Federal Circuit's primarily interested in understanding whether in the Printco case such an agreement existed, and if so, to provide some guidance on when an agreement would be okay, essentially, or when it would stifle competition. In this case, however, while it seems that the Federal Circuit is inclined to provide some guidance on the issue of anti-competitive effects in the view of, of agreements, it looks like they may not actually go as far as finding that there had been an agreement that did reduce competition because of a lack of evidence on the records. 
Computer and telecom cases often involve many patents and many patent claims. A federal circuit decision in the Katz case could change how courts manage those types of cases. Dory, could you take us through the significance of a decision in this case? It is true, as you say, that many computer and electrical cases have many patents and many claims. The Katz case is unusual in how many claims and how many defendants are involved. Katz cases involve a series of cases involving 165 defendants and 1,975 claims in those combined cases that have been asserted. The Katz cases have been consolidated for proceeding, and at the district court level, the judge decided that there needed to be a process put in place essentially to manage the cases. In doing that, the district court set a limit on the number of claims that could be asserted. In total, the district court said that Katz could assert 64 claims. In addition, the district court put a limit on the number of claims that could be asserted against a particular defendant group. In doing that, the district court did provide some guidance to the plaintiff and said that if certain conditions were met, additional claims could be asserted. The issue that the Federal Circuit will consider on appeal is whether the district court erred by refusing to sever and stay the patent infringement claims Katz was prevented from asserting by the limits the district court put on the number of claims that Katz could carry through the litigation and whether that was a violation of Katz's due process. Now, what we can expect from the Katz case, in large cases, often involving electrical and computer technologies, courts fairly routinely require patentees to select either claims or patents in order to make the case more manageable to proceed. It's a fairly common practice. What we can expect to get from the Federal Circuit is some guidance on the due process implications of these fairly routine case management procedures. That is, in structuring and managing a district court case, what are the procedures the district court must put in place to comply with due process requirements? Now, Dory, aside from specific cases, do you see any particular venues in the United States that could be especially interesting for cases in the electrical and computer technology industries? Yes, I think 2010 will see the continuation of the trends we've seen in the last few years. That is, we'll continue to see a large number of electrical and computer cases brought in the Eastern District of Texas. 2009 and the end of 2008, saw the venue challenged in the Eastern District of Texas in two cases decided by the Federal Circuit, in In Ray Genentech and In Ray TS Tech. The Federal Circuit held on mandamus that decisions on venue in the Eastern District of Texas were contrary to law. There was thought at the time that the venue of the Eastern District of Texas would become less popular. That hasn't turned out to be the case. And in fact, there seems to be a continuation of the trend of filing computer and electrical cases in the Eastern District of Texas, and more so with the addition of additional defendants. There was a concern that the Federal Circuit's decision in Kyocera would make it more difficult to obtain effective relief in the ITC for patentees. That concern does not seem to have been borne out electrical and computer cases, which comprise the bulk 
of patent litigation in the ITC have continued unabated since the Kyocera decision. Other forums that will continue to be popular for electrical and computer cases through 2010 are Delaware and the Northern District of California. Both are well-established jurisdictions for patent litigation. Uh, We've seen a recent uptick in particular in the District of Delaware with the Apple, Nokia, and Apple HTC litigations involving handsets having recently been filed there. The U.S. International Trade Commission recently issued an opinion to provide guidance on how companies can qualify as domestic industries based on their licensing activities. Darren, could you provide some background for us on the Commission's findings and the guidelines that have surfaced around litigation costs? In April, the ITC Commission issued an opinion in the 650 investigation, and they actually provided guidance on what they consider with respect to litigation costs and whether those uh, expenses could be used to satisfy the domestic industry requirement. Specifically, the Commission found that litigation expenses alone do not meet the statute, so therefore they, standing alone, cannot be used to satisfy the domestic industry requirement. In fact, the Commission said that if the litigation expenses alone could be used to satisfy the domestic industry requirement, that would essentially render that portion of the statute meaningless. So rather, uh, the Commission felt that what the real question they were considering was whether or not litigation expenses relating to licensing could be used to satisfy the domestic industry requirement. And as the Commission explained, they believe that that type of litigation expenses can be used to satisfy the requirement. Um, However, they they laid out some guidelines on what specifically what type of litigation expenses can qualify. Um, And what they said was that the complainant must prove that each litigation-related activity is specifically related to licensing, and that they also said that the litigation activities must relate to the patent at issue in the case. So what this means for the future is that in view of the Commission's opinion, it is possible for a complainant to establish a domestic industry uh, through litigation expenses. However, some things to keep in mind would be that a potential complainant would want to document the litigation activities and link those litigation-related activities to some kind of licensing of the patent that that, uh, would be at issue in a potential investigation. You've been listening to Insight and Expertise from Finnegan Partners' Dory Hines and Darren Geron. To listen to other podcasts in this series, we invite you to visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan. <laughs>